Welcome, and thanks for joining us. I'm Deb Ruggiero, host and creator of Rhode Island's Amazing Women, women who make a difference in our communities. My guest is Paige Clausius-Parks, the executive director of Rhode Island's Kids Count, a statewide policy and advocacy organization that improves the health, safety, education, and economic well-being of Rhode Island's children. Paige has been at Rhode Island Kids Count for four years as a senior policy analyst, where she's been responsible for policy and advocacy. She served on many advisory groups, including the Office of Post-Secondary Commissioner Advisory Committee and the City of Providence COVID-19 Recovery Task Force. Prior to joining Rhode Island's Kids Count, Paige served as Director of Advancement and Assistant Director at Books Are Wings and Network Director at Youth in Action. She has a BA from Providence College, where she co-founded PC's LGBTQ student organization. She has a master's from Harvard. Paige lives with her wife and two children in Cumberland. Welcome, Paige. Thanks so much. Nice to see you again. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on today. Well, now you succeeded Elizabeth Burke Bryant, who was synonymous with Rhode Island Kids Count, right, for almost three decades as the executive director. How has that transition been for you? Yes, well, Elizabeth um, has been and was a tremendous leader of Rhode Island Kids Count sure. and our state's like, most vocal advocate for Rhode Island's kids. And I was so fortunate to have four years um, under her mentorship while she was the executive director and I was the senior policy analyst. And I really had the incredible opportunity to see her work, to see how quickly she moves, um, the intensity of which <laughs> she advocates. And during that time, she really um, believes in the staff and provided opportunities for each of us to express and grow our own leadership. Um, and I'm really grateful to her that um, she just, as a part of how she views the work and views organizational development, that I was able to benefit from so many great leadership opportunities, as you mentioned um, in my introduction. Mm -hmm. So when it was um, time for her transition um, and the board had a, a, you know, appointed me as the next executive director, which I was so thrilled. Um, our board was really, really thoughtful and intentional around the transition time. Um, they built in a month of when um, Elizabeth and I would be working together. So I became the executive director on December 1st. Um, Elizabeth transitioned roles to become a transition advisor. So I had a full month to really like download as much of her brain as I could. <laughs> Um, which helped prepare me to start January 1st, kind of flying on my own. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I have an incredible staff. The yeah. staff of Rhode Island Kids Count are brilliant. They are passionate and committed. Um, our staff is, um, is incredible. The board is incredible. So I'm really stepping in to the best possible situation mm -hmm. um, under the, the guidance and mentorship of Elizabeth. So it's been, it's been a good transition time. I'm really no doubt. We've that. got a great team there. I worked with Elizabeth as a state rep for so many years on so many policy issues. And she's been on this show a couple of times as well. And she does care deeply about the mission and people. So what advice did she give you while you were in that, you know, month-long transition page? Well, she did tell me um, that leadership is very hard. It's really hard to do. Mm -hmm. um, and to give myself some grace in that, to always listen to your gut. One thing that I really appreciated about Elizabeth's leadership is that she always asked, you know, what does your gut say? 
she had left room for our um, intuition that we have mm -hmm. and, you know, really trusted our lived experience as well. Um, so she reminded me to list, give yourself time to listen to your gut because yeah. leadership yeah. is very hard. And be gentle Sometimes. with yourself. Sure. Yeah. Um, how did the work, though, as the senior policy analyst for Rhode Island's Kids Count help prepare you for this next move as the executive director? Yeah, so as the senior policy analyst over education and economic well-being portfolio, which are two really large portfolios for Rhode Island Kids Count, um, it prepared me in um, giving me experience um, and building relationships with many of our state partners, our state agency leaders, and the community organizations that we partner with. Um, in my role at the senior policy analyst, um, I led couple of our coalition groups that are doing work in Newport with our Newport grade level reading campaign. Mm -hmm. It's the Learn to Read by 3G Coalition. Um, I also was leading the Anti-Racist Education Policy Collaborative with youth and parent organizations, um, as well as beginning the work of leading the Raising Rhode Island Coalition, which had over 50 organizations um, advocating for Rhode Island's cash assistance program, mm -hmm. and was also convening the Rhode Island Alliance for College and Career Readiness, which advocates for legislative and budgetary investments to improve college enrollment and completion um, with a focus on equity. So through that work, I built some really important um, relationships, mm -hmm. um, got to know folks who are also extremely passionate about this work, um, people in our state agencies who are also doing their, their part to increase equity and improve outcomes for children. And all of those relationships, the lessons I learned in convening those groups, um, I brought with me into the executive director role. So when did you first realize that public policy and advocacy was going to become your life's work? That's so funny you asked that because I don't think I realized that until I came to Rhode Island Kids Count four years <laughs> funny ago. Funny how that works. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I um, began, I guess, my, my journey um, doing, as a child, really, always doing community service work, um, giving back to community was a family value of ours. Um, which led me to become a public service major at Providence College, where we were analyzing and looking at service and what is community, um, the role of foundations. And that, I really, really loved that work um, and, and that kind of study. Um, while I was at PC, as you mentioned in my intro, I founded um, the LGBTQ student organization. And it was from that work and that organizing work that I did that I was like, oh, wow, like, I really love this. Um, and I through, know. I loved it. And through my, through that, my major, I was able to then dive deeper into that, got an internship at Youth Pride. That led me into um, graduating and I'm working full-time at Youth Pride doing LGBTQ safe school work. Um, and from there, I was like, I know what I want to do. I'm going to have the most inclusive, safe school districts in the world, right? So I'm like, <laughs> I need to go and become an education administrator. So I went to Harvard and got my master's in education administration and planning and social policy was part of the work. And I um, went in thinking I was going to focus on administrator type um, courses. Mm -hmm. And I just found myself gravitating to social policy. Mm -hmm. I really loved that. I want to go back so to can, something you said, yeah. because I found it interesting. Um, was it challenging starting the first LGBTQ student organization at Providence College, a Catholic school? 
Yeah, it, it had its fair share of challenges. Um, and mostly it was huge character development for me because um, I had to not be afraid. So at that time on campus, there were maybe one or two people who were out on campus. And when they were out, it was more of like an outing um, than being out and proud on campus. Um, and I thought there's got to be more. You know, there's gotta be more gay people around here. We need to do something about it. This school needs to be safe for everyone. And you know that feeling when you get that like burning feeling in your gut and you're just like, I'm gonna, I don't know if you've had that feeling, but but, but passionate <laughs> folks know what I'm talking about, right? Where sure. you just yeah. have this burning I'm gonna make off. a difference and it's gonna start right now. <laughs> That's right. And it's complete tunnel vision. Like I'm gonna do this until it's done. And that's what I did at PC. And it absolutely was um, difficult. It was, um, I was very lucky that I had amazing friends. Uh, the folks in my- How did you start it? Did you go to an administrator? Did, you know, did you say, this is what we're going to do? How did it actually get framed? Oh, so how I did it was I first went to the um, staff members that I trusted on campus to ask them how to do this. So I was a Martin Luther King Jr. scholar. Um, so at the time, there was the Balfour Center at PC, and I went to my advisor there and said, this is what I want to do. How should I do this? Um, I went to my academic advisor um, at mm -hmm. the Fine Science Institute for Public Service and shared my idea. How do I do this? Um, and they kind of directed me to go to the student government office and ask them how to do it. And I was very fortunate. So I found that the more I came out, the more other people came out to me as well with their own mm. personal experiences. And the person I spoke to um, in like the student government, student Congress office was like, wow, this is really great. I actually have a close you know, family member. Struggling mm -hmm. with coming out. Great. So let me try to help how you. That commonality suddenly starts to percolate, you know? Exactly. And that's what I found with my experience at PC. The braver I was to come out, I think the safer other people felt to share either their own personal experiences or share the stories of the loved ones that they care about. Um, and that's that's contagious, right? That I think bravery right. um, brings on other people's bravery. And together we move forward. Um, you know, despite the fear. So okay. that's, that's what we did. And um, we ended you. up like the first meeting, I think we had about 100 um, students show up to the first meeting, which mm -hmm. was amazing. We had, yeah. I think the requirement at the time was like, you had to get 20 student signatures to be even considered to be a club. And we had hundreds of signatures. That's amazing. Um, and you're so right, it's it was about courage experience. and bravery, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm Deborah Giro, uh, the host of Amazing Women, Rhode Island's Amazing Women. Karen Kay is our producer. And my guest is Paige Clausius Parks, the executive director for Rhode Island Kids Count. Um, you can listen online anytime at uh, amazingwomenri.com or any of your favorite streaming podcast services. So tell us about Paige Clausius uh, Parks. Who are you? Tell us about Who yourself. Am I? Yeah, I guess I am um, a Black queer woman um, who is a mom and a daughter. Mm -hmm. um, I am someone who leads with my heart and um, feel feel all the feelings. Mm -hmm. And I think that helps me a lot in the work. I care about people. I care about connections. Um, and I care about kids. And that's and, obvious. We can feel the big heart that you have, Paige. Yeah. Um, 
So, so many Rhode Island families and children certainly suffered during the pandemic. Um, what were some of the key issues um, for the children in our state? Because, you know, I think we're, we've been beyond that, but there's always this residual effect. The pandemic really hit some people harder than others. Right. So the pandemic hit um, our kids and especially our children of color and our low income students um, and children and their families um, incredibly hard. Um, we have seen that the mental health crisis of our young children and young adults has increased. There's always um, challenges for mental health for students and kids, and that has just been exacerbated um, through the pandemic, mm -hmm. as well as economic instability for families. Um, it's, it's difficult, right? Our, especially with um, inflation, cost of living going up, and many families having lost their jobs or change of employment during the pandemic. Um, and that has been difficult for some families to recover from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you make a good point. I think the minority communities paid a disproportionate price during the pandemic, in part because of the inability to work at home, you know, many of the jobs that they had took them outside of the home, the generational generations living together. Um, so as a policy analyst, I know you're the executive director, but you're also still a policy analyst, Paige. What lessons did you take from that, you know, um, unprecedented experience to help you reframe policy? Mm. So I think the pandemic uh, really shed a light, a light on the disparities that Rhode Island Kids Count has been talking about for a very long time. Right. Um, and now it came to the forefront of more of more people and more people were aware of the challenges that families face. So coming um, through this pandemic as a, as a senior policy analyst, it really gave me an opportunity to learn about our systems um, as they were being kind of dismantled and up, upset during the pandemic and then mm. the work to build them back together. Um, it's, it was an interesting time to be kind of new in my position because I was able to see how things, um, where, where the fault lines were. Because, you know, folks being um, forced to stay home, um, dealing with health crisis, like you said, intergenerational impacts of the pandemic. You can really see all the fault lines in the system during that time. And I was able to identify them as we went through. And now we're building back and really encouraging our policymakers that, you know, we don't necessarily want to celebrate going back to the way things used to be, because that was not good you need to for many of our forward. families. Sure. You mentioned something a little while ago about mental health. I'm very concerned about poor mental health, you know, for our teens and young adults in Rhode Island. Uh, the Rhode Island Behavioral Health Care Survey showed that 15% of Rhode Island high school students reported attempting suicide one or more times. That's just alarming, you know? And certainly you're right, the pandemic was a new stressor, but what are some of the mental health challenges that teens and children face today? I'm sure it's something that, you know, you've done a lot of policy work around. Right. So there's many um, factors that lead into or contribute to um, adverse, you know, children's mental health. Or, mm -hmm. And some of those factors include, you know, living in poverty, um, living with toxic stress in a young person's life, um, having in economic instability in one's life, living in communities where there are not enough resources. All of these things can contribute to uh, 
adverse childhood experiences, as well as the cultural, um, historical trauma that many of our uh, families have lived through, and it's intergenerational trauma that continues to reverberate and impact our young people and children and their families. Mm -hmm. um, and when those exist, and when our, our kids and their families feel like there's no way out of this system, there, there's forces being pushed upon them that they have no control over, that is extremely difficult. It impacts mental health, impacts physical health, um, impacts their social, emotional health, all of the things that um, we need to be able to be healthy on. Mm -hmm. Those outside factors um, really contribute to the challenges for kids' mental health. And then there's not as much resources as we need to be able to address well, I think that's childhood. a key issue, mm -hmm. the, the resources and the funding. I'm doing a few amazing women shows on mental health with young adults and children and teens, in part because there are so many amazing women who are psychiatrists and do this every single day. Um, one of the other issues, too, around that is social media. How much of a stressor has social media been for young people, you know, whether it's TikTok or Instagram, where everything just seems so perfect and everybody's so happy, and that's really not real life. Yeah, so we have not um, dug deeply into the impacts of social media on um, children's either mental health or their um, educational academic outcomes. We haven't looked closely at that. Mm -hmm. But you hopefully you will. <laughs> well, we're looking at all the factors as well as, you know, we've been doing a lot of work and research around the continu continuum of care for kids. Mm -hmm. right. So how are we as a collective society and how are we investing in policies and programs and procedures that one are promoting positive mental health for kids and right. then when how do we identify when kids are needing help what are all the resources and access points where people can start to recognize or identify if kids need mm. some additional mental health supports and then what are the layers and um, steps of different interventions and supports that kids can get um, right now we have like high level care you know hospitalization of kids what we're lacking also is once kids don't need that, what's the next step down? Um, how do we make sure that kids and families have access so they have the right care at the right time? I love the Rhode Island Kids Count Factbook. You know, as a legislator for 14 years, I used it every single session to help frame policy. You can't do good policy without all that good data. So let's talk data for a few minutes, Paige. What are some of the stats for children in Rhode Island, you know, when it comes to health care and well-being? I mean, we have some some pretty powerful numbers. Yeah. So one of the things that so I often share, you know, I do data presentations. And I always have my presentations, I share some really depressing news um, for a lot of the data and statistics that we share. However, health coverage is one of the things that's actually a bright spot for us, which we're really excited about. So Rhode Island is one of the, has always been one of the top states in our healthcare coverage for kids. Um, last year, we had just 1.8% of our kids that were not covered in health mm -hmm. insurance. We're just about, you know, just about 2% of kids were not covered. That's and that's um, the right care program. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the right care program. Yes. And then last year, the General Assembly passed Cover All Kids, mm -hmm. which um, expands eligibility for um, Medicaid coverage for all income eligible children, regardless of immigration status. 
So yes. that was a huge victory. It's an equitable policy. And we're hoping that's going to lower that 2% of kids who are uninsured so that mm -hmm. we can get closer to 100% of our kids being covered. I know. I was proud to support that. Very important. So what's the biggest challenge you think you face as the executive director of Rhode Island's Kids Count? Oh, the biggest challenge, if I say biggest challenge personally, I would say um, is that there is a lot of work to do. Um, and there are many, many areas where our kids need strong advocates. Mm -hmm. And Rhode Island Kids Count has been really proud to be one of those lead advocates for our kids. Um, and as the executive director, you know, it's a challenge to figure out, you know, what do we have the capacity to do? As I said earlier in, in the beginning of our interview, have awesome, committed, passionate staff. Mm -hmm. When you're awesome and committed and passionate, you also want to say yes to everything because you know it's all important. Yeah, but you um, can't. <laughs> yeah, but you can't. Right. You can't. And we also need to protect our own, you know, mental health and wellness as well. We need to be able to sleep at night. So, um, at least have time to sleep. Right. We definitely think about these so, things. So what are your top three priorities, would you say? As, as an organization, our policy priorities? Oh boy, let me pick a top three. We have so many that are I know so you important. Do. Education, healthcare, well-being. I get it. Okay. I won't bring <laughs> you down to three. I know they're all important. So what keeps you up at night? <laughs> oh boy, what keeps me up at night? Um, I guess I when I lay my head down at night and I'm reflecting on the day. One of the things I reflect on is, did I maximize every opportunity that arose to advocate for our kids? And I, I want to make sure that every day we are putting in 110%. We are finding opportunities to raise up the issues that matter the most to kids and communities and to families. Um, and I just want to make sure we we do that every opportunity we can. What do you love most about your gig, Paige, as the executive director of Rhode Island Kids Count? Oh, boy. I absolutely love my staff. They mm -hmm. inspire me every day. Um, I love that. I love working with our community partners. I love being able to talk to families and to students and hearing what's happening in their lives. And then when we're able to make a connection, when we hear what a family is struggling with. And then we know what policies are being talked about or what budgetary investments are coming up at the state house. And we're able to make that connection and help students and family members get to the policymakers to share their stories. There's nothing better than that feeling. I love that. Um, you, you see and you feel kids and families feeling empowered that they're able to advocate for themselves. And then policymakers, I know, also really appreciate hearing from their constituents and hearing the personal stories. We add the data into it and it's a wrap from there, you know, so that, that feels great. <laughs> it is pretty cool. So I know how much you love your job and I can hear your passion, but if you could have any other job besides being the executive director of Rhode Island's Kid Count, what would you want to do? Oh, that's a hard question. Um, I think, well, one job that I already have is um, being a mom of two awesome kids um, who are 10 and 11 years old. That is a pretty um, cool job. Yeah, I love that. So I would just keep doing that for the rest of my life. <laughs> who are some of your mentors, Paige? Oh, so my mentors so include Elizabeth Burke Bryant, who of I've course, already, yes. um, already mentioned. 
Um, I've been really fortunate to um, have guidance and support from a dear friend of mine who's Rachel Legend. Um, she was my former uh, director at Youth Pride and continues to be a huge force in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's a huge mentor of mine. Right. Um, my parents are no longer around on earth, but they definitely are always in my heart and in my, in my mind. Um, and they were my first mentors. Wonderful. Wonderful. You have an exciting future ahead of you. Many miles ahead as the executive director of Rhode Island Kids Count. Paige Kloshes Parks, thank you so much for spending some time and thank you for your work for Rhode Island's children and families. Thank you. I end each show with a quote, and this one is from Nelson Mandela. There can be no keener revelation of a society's soul than the way in which it treats its children. So true. Thanks for joining us. I'm Deb Ruggiero. You can listen to the podcast or radio show anytime at amazingwomenri.com. Stay well.